We're operating in a worldview and a theology. We're like, no, no, no. Your relationship with your matters. Your relationship with your soul matters. There's this place as an artist where everyone else is running for cover from the rain. You want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning. At the end of the day, you don't get a medal for being in pain and not taking anything. All you do is hurt everyone around you. John kind of thinks for a moment and he goes, This is the thing that I would want every young man to know. I hope your afternoon or evening or morning or, you know what, whatever time of day you happen to be listening to this is going fantastically. Uh, We have been sitting here wrestling with the right words for this intro for what feels like a whole afternoon. And it's fine. It's fine. It's just... (sighs) Luke was here in town. That much is certain. We recorded a conversation with him. Okay, that's the next bullet point. It's about graduating college. And then what? The body slam. The body slam. I honestly keep coming back to we're going on a bear hunt and I keep wanting to sing it. Like you can't get through the reality check and the loss of hope and all of those just wrestling and conflicting emotions of the post-grad life without entering through it. You can't avoid it. You can't step around it. It's something you have to enter into. Thus, we're going on a bear hunt. We're not scared. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. If that sounds dismal, don't panic. There's some really great stuff in this conversation about ways to think about your post-grad life, ways to think about the uh, process of growth it represents that are going to be some pretty valuable keys, even for people who have been out of college for a long time, frankly. So I think you're going to like what you hear. I want you all to know that I'm also very okay with the fact that I am going to be referencing the bear hunt and Blaine is giving you your glimmer of hope of personal maturation. I'm 100% okay with that. And it's good because it's true. This is the AdSense Podcast. I'm Sam. And uh, I'm Blaine and Luke. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, so funny to be welcoming a younger brother to the show. Um, People are by now pretty familiar with the fact that Blaine and I are brothers and kind of banter back and forth. And so I think there's going to be some intrigue as to uh, what the third brother is like and how the, all three of us interact and things change. But I'm you know, just naming that. And um, Luke, does the post-grad body slam feel like an accurate description? It is an accurate description. But at the same time, I don't want it to be accurate because I don't want to say that I have been body slammed. You okay. know, I want to like have handled it well, you know? And watching uh, you guys graduate and you go through a similar thing, you know, I didn't want to be like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, just to be clear, you just didn't want to be like us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in like a positive way, I didn't want to experience the same sort of suffering. (laughs) In a positive way. Yeah. So looking at our experiences, you'd say they went really well. (laughs) Yeah, super positive. Overall, in where you guys ended up, um, but it didn't look fun. What do you mean? What didn't look fun? Oh, what about watching us? Did you sort of go? Ooh, <laughs> I don't want that. Um, I think just watching you guys struggle with meaninglessness and kind of trying to establish some sort of um, objective to your lives, while not really being given um, any sort of roadmap to that. Are we still talking about us or are you just projecting? I'm talking about you guys. <laughs> As this is actually what you're experiencing. Well, and so you assume that's what we experience. Because I think I handled it flawlessly. First, I don't know what you're talking about. I 
I didn't suffer. I, I knew what I wanted to do <laughs> when I grew up. Sam was an errand runner, for those of you listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Rich people got to get stuff too. They just don't want to do it themselves. Yeah. And ran around Santa Barbara getting people I think the technical bottles. term was a rabbit. <laughs> it was a, actually, I think it is a technical term. He had a little yeah. furry tail and two pointy ears. <laughs> it really hated the uniform. Um, Super successful. <laughs> but honestly, to be honest, that job was looks from the outside a lot better than the things that I've been doing, to be honest. What, what have you been doing? Well, for a couple months, I was training as a sushi chef. Yeah, you wrote an article about that. Yeah, I did. Did you write the follow-up of F that? What, <laughs> what happened after my dream came true? <laughs> what happened after I found out my dream was actually a horrible nightmare? <laughs> now you hear zero dreams of sushi and it gives you the shivers. <laughs> Luke dreams of, ooh, no, no, thank no. you. No, don't say that anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, I mean... The craft was amazing. Spending the time learning was amazing. But, I mean, the service industry is difficult enough in any capacity. But it in itself was particularly rough. Uh, having your coworker just walk out when you're in the middle of a slam because they're mad and you're left alone or uh, being wildly understaffed. Yeah, he and, sounds like he should have been fired. Yeah, that was the thing. No one could get fired because we were perpetually understaffed. So, like, people would do the craziest stuff and, like, be unimpeachable. I remember one of my first jobs after graduating when I was working in middle school, literally on a few different occasions, showing up and the teacher wasn't actually in the classroom because of similar staffing issues and because they were developing these special student success programs. Uh, but the leadership hadn't been clarified. And so I'd, you know, get there to do student support and there'd be no one else in the room. I'd be like, um, hey, is um, is anyone going to be here? And then he'd be like, okay, well, let me just go ahead and think of something for you eighth graders to do. And you're going to do it because I say so. Right, right. <laughs> Most of it was solving. I'd give them riddles to solve, which I'd write on the board. <laughs> <laughs> What have I got in my pockets is... Exactly. <laughs> String. So looking at us and there was something that you felt like you could name that you didn't want. Um, maybe you'd start with what you did. When you graduated, I think people, you know, the world around you and the academy and your peers probably gave you an idea of maybe what you could have. Is that, is that fair to say? Do you mean like what I could have after I graduated, like job-wise? Oh, uh, just like as an experience of life, like what, what the potentials were. Because if you were, I'm making this as an assumption, because if you're looking at me and Blaine and you're going, man, that's a lot of suffering. That's like yeah. a lot of aimlessness in those first years. I don't, that, that implies that there's an alternative. And I'm right. wondering if, I'm wondering, was there, was there like something you held out there in front of you as, when I graduate and when I enter quote unquote real life, right? I want X, Y, and Z. Could you could you name maybe what those were? Yeah, I think what specifically my department kept on telling us is that you can get a entry level position job that still has a semblance of meaning to it. Um, and what department was that? Luke? English department. Okay, in the English department, you know, which already has to defend itself a lot and justify its own existence to a world oriented around the sciences. And business. And business and those sorts of things. 
Um, and so already justifying himself told us, you know, you can get an entry-level position that has meaning and you can use the tools that you've cultivated in these years. Um, we had people coming in from Amazon talking about like, um, just like developmental positions and things like that. They were talking about like grant writing a lot. That was kind of the big one. And at the time, I was like, oh, grant writing, gross. I don't want to do that. God. Um, I write poems, essays, <laughs> creative things. I am a genius. And then graduate and be like, oh, dear God, please let me be a grant writer. <laughs> Anything. Anything. And then being like, no, you actually can't be a grant writer unless you have 10 years of grant writing experience. What, um, what, is, what is that? What are they doing in there telling you you can be a grant writer if they actually won't even hire you for 10 years? You know, I actually have no idea. I think what they're actually telling you about is, you know, five years after college, not those first couple of not years. five months. Yeah, right. Because, like, they really don't tell you what actually happens when you graduate. And, like, they don't actually prepare you on how to, like, get a job or build a resume to get the sorts of positions that you actually want. It's so funny hearing that because I remember being in that same position in, and being an English major and looking and being like, people would come in and talk to me about things I could do. And I just look at them and be like, I'm fine. You guys like, I don't know what's wrong with you. that You graduated, didn't manage to make things happen. But I don't know if you've noticed, I am exceptional. (laughs) Uh, Something that I think to a certain extent, every college student thinks um, because you know, you are a God in your minor world. And you're like, I don't know. I, I write things and everyone I know likes them. So (laughs) my mom puts them up on the refrigerator. (laughs) I'm a person of influence and passion. If anybody right now is having this moment of like, ugh, millennials and their entitlement and all the ways we just, we've ruined them by giving them prizes for everything. I'd like to tell you that um, that's slightly irritating and undermining the point that we're actually talking about. The fact that you are feeling like the world is your oyster and that you can step into a career isn't a false idea that we were sort of sold by someone telling us we were a special little butterfly. It was something that people sold coming in and having career days. It's something that the college or the university sold because they liked having a certain amount of students attending their university. And so there was this thing that like, you can get a job after this. Right. In this field Whatever it is you want, theater arts, communications, English, all those liberal arts, wonderful, like history. I would love all that. Right. And when I say body slam, I don't mean that it was so much the image of you hitting the water that's you messing up. It's more the act of the body slam of just like so much surface area spread across so much water, not entering smoothly, a rude awakening to reality. That is more the experience of what real quote unquote real life or the first few months or years outside of college is like. Right. I mean, you can like understand the concepts of swimming and they tell you about it, but once you actually get in the water, it's an entirely different thing. And so, you know, you take a class on like interviewing but when you actually have to get a job, it's a very different experience. That totally is. Can we go to that core topic of meaninglessness? I want to hear more, Luke, are you describing where does that come from? Mm. And uh, what are the things that you I feel like have fallen away 
that were key to the provision of meaning in your time? I am definitely a person that receives a lot of identity in what I'm doing and what I am producing as a person. And in college, that is really clear. You're working um, a lot of hours for a very real goal. Um, but then stepping into working, you know, a restaurant job, doing other small jobs, like that's not particularly something that I can orient my life around or my personhood around. And so, yeah, definitely feeling a loss of purpose to what I do in the everyday. You looked at other people's lives, including ours, when you were still kind of on the edge of entering in. And there were certain things you looked for um, because the ideas like meaning and meaninglessness of while they're part of our hierarchy of needs and like, and yet with love, they can also be kind of hard to define. Mm-hmm. And it's you're like, I don't have meaning unless I'm doing X thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were looking at other people's lives and you were on the inside still, you hadn't quite left yeah, or stepped out to stick with a, a metaphor. Um, what were things that you were like, oh, found yourself aware of? What were things that you were that you'd say to yourself, oh gosh, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to try and learn right. that lesson without right. experiencing it firsthand. Well, I think the first thing that came to, comes to mind is seeing some of my peers doing really interesting and cool work. We had one friend that was working for a really cool design studio that made really beautiful wood tables. Um, and I looked at that and I thought, that is not building a resume for what you want to do with your life, but you are building really cool life skills, like how to use power tools and build things. Or I looked at uh, other peers who landed actually really cool jobs. I have a friend who travels all around the country facilitating conversations about education reform um, and like all expensive paid kind of a thing. And I was like, that looks really cool. Like that's not exactly what I want to do with my life, but like that looks really exciting. And so I saw that as like, okay, I can do things. And then I saw other peers who were driving vans for retirement homes. And I thought, no, please no. And then I think a little bit of reality was actually talking to those friends who I considered successful and kind of seeing what it actually cost. The job that the one that got the cool job traveling. She spent nine months applying um, to get something like that. Or the friend that was working in the woodshop design studio had actually a terrible experience of a really domineering boss and terrible work hours. And so I think um, looking from the other side, there seemed like positions that were, I could imagine, soul-crushing or positions that looked really engaging but then actually having conversations with them, it wasn't so clear cut. What that makes me think of, you know, as I'm just listening to you talk is, I kind of wonder, you know, my experience was like that. Most of my friends had an experience like that. Um, And like you in my senior seminar, there was a lot of, uh, you can do this. You can use these skills and enter any field you want and do meaningful work. And... I kind of wonder if that's supposed to be true. Mm. You know, Sam and I recently talking 
we were just saying, you know, if we had the opportunity to go like talk to some senior English majors, like what would we tell them? Like, oh, we would want to explain entrepreneurship to them. We'd be like, mm. guys, don't try to go be a part of something. Make something, you know? Uh, it is if you want to enter a company that is somehow going to take advantage of your thinking skills and equip you with technical skills and point you in a great direction, you're going to be so disappointed because that kind of work really isn't available. What you should do instead is start a bike jersey company or, you know, any of the innumerable things we've seen people do. But I'm just thinking of like, I didn't think that when I first graduated. And while I knew that my skills were valuable and that I could do things, there was nothing in me that was like, okay, I'm going to shape my work to fit my reality. I'm going to make it happen. It just felt like something like that wasn't possible and that Mm -hmm. there were other things that I needed to learn and I needed to walk through, you know, until I could get to the place. And I went the grad school route. You know, I I worked in education for a year mostly. I went and got a master's degree. And then after that, I came here. And I think a lot of people end up going to grad school simply because there's not much else to do. And that was part of partly why I went. But there are key things uh, that I think you're supposed to experience in that letdown, like core lessons about the world uh, that have to be realized through that disappointment from which you actually, your expectations shift. Like, but I don't know, Sam, does that ring true for you? Like, what does it take to get to the point where four or five years post-graduation, it now seems really obvious to you. Like it wasn't then, but now you're like, oh, I totally, I would totally do this. I would, hmm. I would create this kind of industry and I'd plug it in this way. Yeah, there's definitely part of me that cringes at like, the, again, the Calvin Hobbes dad type, like you got to build character. You, like that failure is really good for you. And everybody who's ever succeeded will say that. And you obviously learn more through failures than successes, blah, 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 blah. And yet, I love the quote that reality is what you bump into when you're wrong, which is one that we kind of pass around the outposts here a lot. And I remember, I remember the feeling like when we graduated, all of our ideas of kind of who we thought we were going to be and what meaningful work we thought we were going to do, um, were just, they were brought under the pressure of like, you have to pay rent. Mm-hmm. You have to start making student loan payments. You have to keep gas in your car. You, you've liked eating. Hasn't that been nice? Yeah. If you want to keep eating, you are going to have to, you have to get a job. And so that's why a lot of, even like the beginning of our conversation right now is about work. Though there are other categories I want to get to, but under the pressure cooker of impending need, man, yeah, you take a job shuttling around old people. Yeah, you take a job uh, getting cat food for wealthy people. And... I, I I do remember that conversation that we had, Blaine, about English majors, because uh, we all are them and um, know many of them. And I remember, like, kind of each of you, we, there were categories of people. There was a big subset that went into the construction industry, woodworking, uh, general carpentry, things like that. And they were kind of cool guys. And so they kind of could, like, do that without it being like, you just got a... I don't know, six-figure education over four years, and you're going to go and work in construction? Like, you little punk, like, you you could have gone and done that four years ago. What, do you, what, what, what did you become over this time? Um, right, well, I think that hits on something that I experienced stepping into the workforce. It, like, the workforce is feeling that I genuinely wasted my time at college. 
because all of my bosses were my age or younger than me. They just started before me. And so what it felt like was that I just wasted my time not gaining the experience that I need to get a job. Totally. The the ever classic thing on a on a criteria for a job is that you should be in your 20s. You want like youth and energy, but you need to have 10 years of experience. And you're like, who is this person? Did you guys hire like a 12-year-old? Right. Like, how did they how did they get 10 years of experience before they were 25? Like you're out of your mind. And that's when I think we started having, looking back at it now, I'd have very different advice for that young man or woman. And, mm. and this piece about, specifically for English majors, it's like, you know, what you've learned is kind of communication, but it's also story. And it's the way that human beings can communicate meaning. And that is what the whole marketing world is dying for. Like that is that, that what you learned is a marketing. You got a marketing degree. You actually right. didn't get an English degree. Now, if you had if you'd gotten the actual marketing degree, you would have spent a lot more time learning numbers and algorithms and you know test things and blah blah blah. But there, there's oh, so many different options than just like the the rat race of I'm behind, everybody else is ahead, and I just need to get like the first. I'm gonna bag groceries if I if it pays the bills. And it's like you know what you could do with an Instagram account with something out of your garage like i know it's terrifying and my like i, I didn't go there either because it had never never even crossed my mind and maybe now it's crossing my mind in my late 20s and probably something i will do in my late 20s and my 30s but and, and there's probably lessons i learned in there along the time but i don't know work work feels like the first kind of smack um and i remember as we were as we were driving over here saying like we had actually told luke what we were gonna be talking about today and uh I like surprises like that. I think it keeps the emotions fresh. <laughs> but we told him we're going to talk about the body slam or it's just like the entry into post-grad life. And you said, um, is it okay if I just like start crying? <laughs> <laughs> like there's obviously more going on there than just expectations about work and those not being met. Right. I mean, something that just came to my mind about uh, the post-grad experience is that you are completely removed from a community of any kind that shares similar values to you, where you spend a long time putting in a lot of effort about a field, and in my experience, English, which is an art which this world doesn't totally value a ton, but having the experience that no one around you cares about what you care about, which really brings into question the value that you've placed on those things. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. It's huge shifting towards friendships, how I think of like, even the people who, you know, we still shared a worldview. I just remember it was so difficult. We had to like rework out living life as friends without kind of 90% of our relationship being accounted for in this shared exterior goal mm -hmm. and language and even like a common villain uh, in kind of the way that college devours your time and everybody gets to be mad about that. But like, not only were people gone, but like who valued the things I valued, but the people who were still there, you know, we would hang out, we'd, do, we'd like go on bike rides together and it would kind of be like, wow, this feels kind of inexplicably different. Hmm. Has that been your experience at all? You know, less so because... Uh, following my graduation, there was the mass exodus of everyone that I knew from 
the college town that we lived in, which doesn't have a ton of opportunities for uh, freshly graduated people. And so I was really only left with like one or two friends who were also experiencing this. Um, And so luckily I've actually had the experience of like banding together against the void that we have begun to experience. But it does kind of leave you with just kind of like your exit buddy, basically. Do you have your exit buddy? Didn't you say you guys were doing game nights or something like that? Yeah, yeah. We we were trying to do a game night. Every Monday night, we'd invite um, some friends over, most of which were out of college. And that this was the thing that I was experiencing of everyone just kind of jumping ship in the, the city in which we lived, um, where every game night, one other person would have moved away or gone somewhere else. And so all of a sudden, it was like dwindling down to the two people that decided to stay. It's kind of brutal. Like the cast members of an apocalyptic movie. Seriously. Every, or a TV show, every episode, there's like one less person. Well, this is getting dark. (laughs) Yeah. We're running out of people to kill off. Right, and I totally understand why they left too. I remember watching people graduate above me and move to different cities or across the country and I thought to myself, why don't we choose community first and career second when community is what we're all talking about, what we want? And now experiencing just the lack of options you're given um, in a certain place and realizing like, yeah, no, it's not exactly I'm choosing, people are choosing career over community. So they're choosing to survive over the friends that they have in one place. That feels so desperate. <laughs> it is. <laughs> just pull yourself one head above another. Like it's all that. Ugh, you, your words of people having the same um, worldview or ideas struck a chord of a conversation I just had last night with a friend who was saying that she has this idea that of a tribe, and that's kind of the word that she would use of like like-minded people that you have similar hopes and dreams and, and think about the world the same way. And she's. I think in her thirties now, and the words that words that came were, I I think I've I've reached that point in my life where I may never actually find I might I, I might not have a tribe I may never find mm-hmm. it, um and I can be in community with people that are really good and really like life giving and helpful and recognize that not everything's going to line up perfectly, uh, but there was something kind of saddening about the idea of like and I may never really find it right i think that might be true to some extent uh, at least to the degree that like she was expressing the longing and then i know that i've experienced that longing of mm-hmm. it's rare that you make a friend that thinks the same way about things and that loves the same things and you'd be wealthy to have that right so then to find a community of that and college kind of looked like that mm-hmm. at first and so when it ends it is a little bit like I watched this show. It's called The One Hundred, and and they basically send like a, a hundred kids down to Earth when it's like they think they're they've been living on a space station, and that's what that's what the end of the, like graduating feels like. Like you've just been thrown out. You are now east of Eden. You have to figure it out and survive. And you're right. like, um, yeah, we've never been a tribe. <laughs> It's amazing. You know, it's actually the exact same letdown that I feel when I watch the end of The Return of the King. 
Mm. And, you know, part of that is the letdown of I committed to a three-hour movie. But the more significant thing is, I'm so relieved that Sauron is defeated. But Frodo has, you know, a line that's not in the book, but in the film he narrates and says, you know, um, like not one year to the day you know, in the in the fellowship, the, although permanently bonded by love, uh, was ended. And this guy goes off here and the hobbits go back and Frodo's about to sail away. And there's just kind of like, I feel so bummed for them. Mm. Like, wow, you guys had this extraordinary thing that was provided by a common mission. And now that the mission is concluded, you're kind of like amicably going your own direction. And it just feels like it is amazing how vital a purpose is, uh, an external Mm. force motivating the way you make decisions as to your friendships. And that when that ends in college, if you do not find another one, you will have a very difficult time finding um, the impetus to stay together with the people that you form friendships with. I feel like it's when you do not find one, not if you do not find one. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though. I mean, the idea to continue that same thought of when the hobbits get back to the Shire and they're sitting around the table in their pub having a, having a beer and they just know that no one else in the, in their world has experienced what they've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an intense feeling of isolation that we may not, I don't, I don't know that I feel that level of isolation all the time, but I think mm. if I was honest with myself, we are, we, we like that whole idea of, you know, no man being an island. Like we do tend to isolate and walk mm-hmm. through seasons with that, with the little, maybe that unspoken, nobody really knows. I was just thinking of how like, man, well, where did I look for that? And I, and I thought of like, man, why does everyone think of a game night? I don't like, was everyone, was everyone <laughs> a member of a game night after graduation? Can I get an amen, Sam? No, actually, I wasn't. Wow. Well, that what? was your problem. Man, where did you live? Um, <laughs> Jeez, guys. But people are like, oh, man, we need a reason to see people on a weekly basis. Like, um, but there's this really interesting thing that being friends or like play isn't actually like a powerful enough circumstance yeah. um, to fuel that kind of like togetherness. And honestly, like I know many people who have, who like Sam, you were just describing, like they never find it again, which sounds so sad. And I know that I didn't after graduation and I didn't in grad school. And it wasn't like, it wasn't until years later. The, I mean, the current story is like finding people who like, have a mission or have like a vision of how to walk out uh, life with God in an intentional way that provided anything like that again was significant enough uh, to like compel and to arrange for friendships with people. But your game nights obviously sound like they're doing a great job of providing friendship. Yeah, no, they definitely died. We don't do them anymore. Oh. Yeah, so you just sit at your table playing solitaire by yourself. Cribbage mostly. I remember this Thanksgiving when dad was by himself and he was texting us images of himself playing solitaire alone at his oh, table. So, no, that's too depressing. <laughs> it was really sad. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke, as you are now bumping into reality, mm-hmm. 
what are things that you're hoping and looking for in the immediate or near immediate future? Not five years away, mm-hmm. not 10 years away. But what are things that you've maybe readjusted in what you're aiming for? Yeah, I'm aiming for several things. Uh, the first is, like Blaine was saying, a community that is oriented around walking with God, which is not something that is super easy to find. Um, and so, except here in Colorado, <laughs> where you could literally come tomorrow. <laughs> oh, you're moving back? Ah, God, wow, oh, gosh, so awesome! That's dude. Like, that's incredible. Have you told mom and dad? No, gosh, can't God. wait for you to be a member of our home church. Big news! <laughs> big news! Stop it! Stop it! Tweeting it right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, like. and I've sent it, and that's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> no, um, yeah. So looking for that, trying to find. Um, some sort of church community to get plugged into. But like even just the existence of like church shopping is so just like kind of gross. Everybody does um, it. I know. It sucks that you have to. Um, yeah, so doing that. Um, also looking for employment opportunities that are realistic, uh, but would also not be um, completely soul-crushing. So looking like working in a bookstore, working for a library, tutoring, things like that. Um, that are least peripherally oriented around the things that I love. And then also building uh, self-discipline to actually do the things that bring me life, uh, which I was forced to do in college, but like pursuing reading, pursuing uh, cultivating life skills, pursuing people who are ahead of me in life that I respect and admire and want to learn from. And having the discipline to actually do those you? things. He didn't text me. I, <sighs> guys. I'm checking my phone <laughs> right now. reaching out to other? Huh. I don't know who he, I'm sure he sent it to a different other. number. Hmm. Yeah, people in Washington. <laughs> oh, community in Washington, people in Washington. I get it. I yeah, get it. yeah, living in the place that you're actually in, guys. Ooh, yeah, I just have one follow question. <laughs> Why do you hate Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> and your family. You never call me. You don't have a phone. They don't have phones in Washington. <laughs> Look, it's, called, it's called object permanence. You don't want to come over Some for people dinner? don't have it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, infants. I made you a layout. Yeah, um, and other people don't develop it as they get older. Grown infants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you trying to say? Um, you said you, you're cultivating life skills. What the hell does that mean? Okay, so there's this thing called taxes. And no one has ever told you how to do them growing up. But if you do them wrong, you go to jail. Well, so stakes are kind of you have to do them really wrong. To Let me tell you yeah, really the first wrong, thing but... about you don't make enough money to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> or to be worth their time to put their own jail. $20,000 a year or more, and then you have to pay federal taxes, Luke. You guys don't know how much I make. I make a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you sell your broken motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. Like trying to figure out how to fix my motorcycle, which was my way to work for many months until it broke down. And apparently it was not a clogged gas filter, which is the only thing that I knew how to try. And so, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, okay, do I need winter tires or do I just get all season tires? Like how often do you get an oil change? How do you fix a gas pump on a motorcycle? How much money do I have to make to pay taxes? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's what people like to... Hashtag adulting. Yeah. Which I think is... Ugh. It annoys me so much. It's like, no, that's just living. Yeah, exactly. Depositing a check, you did not get a gold star. Right. Unless you had a big day full of things, in which case, absolutely, you get a gold star. 
Right, and so... <laughs> yeah, right, Sandra. <laughs> to try to finish my point after all your irritating interjections. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so there's no gold stars? No, go ahead. <laughs> Let me tell you, Luke, how to file at 1088. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, just like... There's not a whole lot in college life that you need to deal with life-wise except for passing your classes and then stepping into marriage and stepping into renting a house and needing to maintain it and the things you own like that. Yeah, those are life skills that I don't want to say that I don't know how to do, you know? I want to be the guy that knows how to fix the sink. Instead, I made it worse. Which one is the water slot? (laughs) 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 Wonder where that was going. Yeah, well, it turns out, I don't know. For some reason, I have a bum gasket. (laughs) Yeah, well, we had a clogged sink and I, like, you know, had a wire coat hanger and cut it in half and used a little hook to try to get unclogged. Sure. Um, For some reason, that clogged it more. Um, I think it actually worked more as like a use a tamp as a tamp <laughs> rather From than a like getting stuff out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like, that's when you have to actually like make a little hook out of it yeah, and run the, it down the, the side. Okay, it was a and small then thing. rotate it so it pulls things out. Yeah, exactly. That's what I need to know. I yeah, that's those are the skills. You know, like a Civil War musket. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's what I was trying to do. Like that concept made so much arrow in there and just kind of. Well, the concept totally made sense. You take a ball of hair and throw it in there too. Fire, fire, fire with fire. <laughs> hair of the dog. <laughs> Literally. I don't, think, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think that means what you think it means. Yeah, so cultivating life skills and then also cultivating, like, me as a person. Reading a lot of self-help books, you know. Just kidding. Wait, are you, no, are you kidding? kidding. <laughs> then, yeah, I was going to say, wow. it's a little too soon. That usually strikes around 25. Let me tell you which ones I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hear you saying those things, Luke, about what you're looking for in. I think the first thing, this isn't like that. What is the advice you would give to yourself when you graduated uh, college? Because most of the people who answer that question, the question they answer is, what is the advice you would give to a 40-year-old who was also a college grad? Yeah. Uh, and it's just not helpful because right. they're, giving, like, they're giving advice to a person with decades of experience navigating the contemporary world. And it just isn't going to be relevant. So I think, like simply noting at the beginning, like I think that there is no way out of the body slam and that trying to escape it is really unhelpful. Mm-hmm. However, there are things that I hear in your response that I go, man, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are things that I would do if I were like to try and imagine what I was like when I just graduated and give that person advice. I'd be like, okay, well, first of all, it's just hard. Like, yeah. You know, and I think the more time you can spend putting words to why it's hard, the better. Mm. And then I think I would, I would mention like, yes, like, number one, what are you going to do in your life with God? And I know you've got this crazy morning ritual, which honestly, you've always been the most dedicated with these. <laughs> you spend like a freaking hour every day, right? Doing yeah. something. Yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be like black belt level. Don't start there. Uh, <laughs> But like one of like, hey, what are you doing um, to orient yourself to the world Mm. first in and through intimacy with God? Like you have a huge opportunity of time. But then I think I would go like, okay, so Blaine, you've been a student of literature and thought 
and you've really liked it and your writing is passable. So now you need to become a student of the universe right. in its broadest form, post-modernity, the world you're living in. And I would absolutely be like, we're not talking self-help books here, but I'd be like, hey, I know this is going to make you cringe, but you really ought to read some of the stuff that Tim Ferriss has written. It's really helpful. He's talked to a lot of successful people and they make a lot of assumptions that you would not figure out for 40 years. So read that. Like, it'll right. be useful. Right. And then I think I would absolutely be like, I had no idea how to do some like basic things. Emily, the first time we were putting taxes together, I was like asking her a lot of questions and she was like, first of all, don't you study money? Second of all, haven't you done this like 10 times by now? Because yeah. she'd been, she'd been working since she's like 15 or younger, Emily, fact check me. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've filed taxes before, but yeah, I don't know how this works. Right. Um, and to go, okay, well, I'm going to be a student of like the world mm -hmm. to look systematically at bureaucracy and be like, hey, it's going to be really helpful to know in the long run, like learn just enough about bank accounts to make sure that you're not making a huge mistake in the way you're saving your money. Yeah, totally. I spent a long time on the internet choosing a bank for Olivia and I and learning like budgeting tools and how to do that and how to follow through and things to look for when you don't have a significant figure in your savings account. And so what is the best um, aspects of a bank for your current position right now? And that's not something I ever had to do before. And so that took a significant amount of dedication to actually sit there and learn those things, boring as they may be. Sam, what about you? Luke is telling our listeners to study banking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling them to buy a copy of Tools of Titans. Tim, you can tweet me if you <laughs> if you hear this. <laughs> Sam? Yeah. It's, I mean, I feel like I am looking back and wondering what saved me and what didn't. Just getting together for drinks with friends did not save me. Mm. Um, probably running did. And definitely pursuing relationship with my girlfriend, then fiance, then wife did. And there was some, there was some measure of like in certain seasons, if it was just needing to provide and just mm -hmm. needing to keep us afloat, that almost had a sort of dignity to it. Yeah. That I, that I liked. Um, and it meant that for us to be able to survive, for me to be able to provide, I had to cultivate certain things in me. Like I had to find uh, gainful employment and I had to be the kind of person that she could rely on. Right. So I couldn't just be a jerk who like brought home groceries. I had to be engaged with her, engaged with my own heart and and also have grace for myself as, as someone who then went on to write and we were all working on Ansons at the time and getting it started like there's a lot of time alone and at home and separating like working hours from relaxing hours was really hard. And if it, I, I just, I think that's why our generation has this really kind of tough challenge. We no longer necessarily have like the cut and dry. You work during these hours and then you don't work during the rest of these hours. You do home things during the rest of these hours. For us, it's when I'm up in the morning from 7.30 until I go to bed at night, Oh, God, these days, if I can get there by 8.30, I'm stoked. But let's just say <laughs> like 11. Um, like I can be intermittently relaxing and working. Mm -hmm. And that can be really exhausting. Like I can be, I can beat up on myself and be like, you just 
like, you watched two movies today. You're such a waste of space. And I was like, well, but like, we watched them on like a date and that was at like the evening time. And I'm actually not factoring in that I like cleaned the house and then I did this research and I got this work done in between. And like, I didn't just lie around the couch all day. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing other things. Those days are the worst. <laughs> they are. And like, I, you know, I'm not gonna say I don't have those days because I definitely do. But like learning that balance of, like it's almost being able to place yourself in things. Um, I love Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And someone mm. gave that book to me and Holocaust survivor, psychologist. And one of his main ideas was that if you're able to place yourself in your larger context, you actually can undergo immense suffering without succumbing to it. Mm. Um, he watched that in the case of the Holocaust, but then afterwards as people try to reintroduce into life if and i've applied it to as a mundane thing as flying out and asking my in-laws now but then my girlfriend's parents for their blessing and you know that's a terrifying thing right but i looked at it like i was able to look at it in the context of like this is something i really want to do and i want this to go well mm -hmm. and this is just this is just a, a weekend so there's no need to like just be terrified out of my mind actually i can just be present and be relaxed and like that ability to you know whether that's a day that i'm taking off from work or if it's a day that i'm like working on home projects mm -hmm. um i think being able to see things in their context is a skill that i hope to continue developing yeah um because it it almost echoes the omnipotent right um though our skills never nearly get that close right i think yeah, I mean, that really speaks to me. I think about needing to find new structures that give my actions meaning, especially in an environment where if you are not um, being productive in the sense of increasing your income, your actions don't really mean anything. And I think experiencing, you know, like, oh, well, I like things. Things cost money. Oh, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. I like boats. Um, totally. But really thinking about... You don't yeah. like boats. You like Moby Dick. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, but I like collector's editions of Moby Dick. <laughs> um, yeah, so thinking about um, like the small things that I'm doing, like working on my poetry portfolio to submit to an MFA program, working on that as being really meaningful where it feels like I'm not doing that enough to justify my identity as a writer. But it's like, well, no, that's in the context of like preparing myself to do this long-term thing it can actually give this season a lot more meaning than it previously had. I love cycling. And that is a total part of my well-being. And I realized that I can look back now and go, man, at the time, if I'd been like devoting, you know, X amount of hours a day to cycling or just the news or watching GCN like that would have felt like a waste of time and space. But these days, like I actually know that's, that's a part of my whole well-being. So I guess as soon as I was able to step away from the panic of I need a job, this isn't lining up with the degree I got with my expectations and, and be in a space of like, well, maybe this job isn't the best. <laughs> maybe it's just for a season and that's fine. Or maybe I'm really enjoying where I'm working. Regardless of that, I think once the panic had subsided, I was able to begin naming other things like, oh, I actually need to eat well throughout the day yeah and ramen isn't really cutting it yeah um 
unless it's my homemade ramen, in which case, yes, it is. <laughs> um, I need to and like to go for a a, a ride on my bike, yeah. like actually does me phenomenal good and yeah. I can go and love my wife better and be more productive at work and yeah. I didn't have that grace for myself initially I think I had more of like the treading water to keep my head up panic yeah I think it's just a crazy idea that the things that bring you life and renew you doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing that brings you an income when in college that doesn't feel legitimate it's like no you want your like, dreams to line up with what your job is. Yeah, right. And there's a million variations of those quote by people worthy of respect. Um, now, what's the quote? That thing that like you want? Yeah, that what she just said. Oh, it's like well, I'm, I'm thinking confused. of the one that's like by Kierkegaard or something, where like where your great skill meets your the world's vocation, great need. Your vocation something. is where your love and the great world's hunger, hunger meet. Yeah, like there's a myriad of those but then like so believing that but then realizing well actually what that leads to is you don't get a job that's fulfilling your heart's desires and therefore you don't meet your heart's desires yes. and so realizing that those things can't exist separately and so start pursuing the things like cycling that do that's really important I really became aware of Sam as you were talking is I think that a massive part of the post-grad body slam is actually just the slowdown. Because honestly, four years feels like a long time, but it's not a long time. Mm-hmm. And things move really fast. Like a weekly deadline isn't a lot of time to work on a project. Um, being like on a higher echelon of people every year is a really fast progression. Mm-hmm. And shifting from something uh, where you have the spectacle of speed, things change really quickly, uh, to something that is really slow is really insane. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really good. But yeah, the, you know, your life is really, really slow. Um, and adjusting yourself to your cultivation in that process is a massive adjustment, but it's worth it. And there are ways you can go about it. And I just heard that, Sam. I totally identified with it um, in like developing a love of cycling. And it feels weird because it feels like you're not doing something, but you're actually learning slower rhythms with a much longer horizon of development than college that are going to kind of um, shape who you're becoming over the next decades. Mm. Luke, you made it through without crying. Uh, Yeah, I did. Uh, It's because of the beer. (laughs) That helps. (laughs) (laughs) We're not drinking. Yeah, no, the beer you had earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. There's definitely not one right in front of you. No, that would be that would be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why? That an, as an avatar reference. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> Where's oh. the black market? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you guys, thanks for coming by this week. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Luke. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You need to be sure to subscribe now and follow us on social media under Ann Sons Magazine. And of course, for articles and films, check out annsonsmagazine.com.